Jesus makes these wonderful I am statements in the book of John. Uh, there are seven statements and we're working our way through them. I kicked it off last week with the way, the truth and the life. And Becky is going to come and she's going to speak very appropriately in the context of communion and, and sharing together. It's almost as if we worked it out, which actually we didn't, but um, on the resurrection and the life. So I wonder whether we could welcome Becky very warmly as she comes to speak. Good morning. This is, this is cool. This is exciting. Um, it's pretty much as scary as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, and, and I feel like I don't even need to um, preach now this morning because during the worship, uh, all of you guys that shared in the worship itself, I think you stole all of my best bits. <laughs> um, let me just set this up here. So if you're wondering what this blue wristband on my arm is, it's not that I'm on day release. <laughs> uh, I've just come from Soul Survivor this morning, and, and I can tell you that it was a really exciting start last night. It's just amazing to be in a place where there are 6,000 or so young people who are hungry for Jesus and want to worship Jesus and are excited and dancing about and expressing their love for him, and that stir something in me that's really exciting and to watch them respond in the 10s and 20s and 30s and 40s to the gospel um, is just incredible so do pray for our young people that are there that we're going to have an incredible week and that God's really going to move in them and do stuff for them because that's super exciting Um, so I thought I would start with um, a little story about me that um you wouldn't know. I haven't really ever told anybody. It's probably going to make me seem a little bit odd, um, but I am, so (laughs) you might as well know that. Um, So when I I was little, I'd I'd heard that Jesus one day is going to come back and take all of his people to heaven, and it's going to be perfect in heaven. And, um, And I thought about that, and I said, to, to Jesus, I'd have this conversation with him, and I'd say, oh, don't come back yet. I want to grow up. I want to go to university. Jesus, don't come back yet. I want to get married, and I want to have children, uh, and you can't come back yet. Not all of my friends know you yet, so don't come back, and I would really try and bargain with him. Um, <laughs> well, unless we've all missed something, he hasn't come back yet. <laughs> um, And a lot of those things haven't actually happened. Um, But I've stopped praying that prayer. I've stopped having that conversation with him. And I have to confess, actually, that in adulthood, at some of my lowest times, at some of those sort of darkest, hardest moments in life, um, instead of bargaining with him not to come back, I've pleaded with him, come back now, God. Come back now. The world is in a mess. Come back now. My life feels a mess could you not at least just whisk me away in some kind of supernatural cloud? Because we know that that perfect place is waiting for us, and sometimes we're just a bit desperate for it. Um, Sometimes, well, I suppose you could say that I haven't had the most theologically sound view on that topic, but I think it's true for everybody that sometimes we allow our own 
feelings to shape our thinking more than we let truth shape our thinking. Uh, And that's what I really want us to do this morning, is to let the truth of God's word shape our thinking as we look at um, Jesus' life-changing statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Because... If we take Jesus at his word, he is the resurrection and the life, then this truth has the power to take hold of and shape our entire lives and our worship of him. And it's something that we need to grab hold of with both hands. Resurrection life isn't just a future end goal. It is for here and it is for now. It is our lives to own and and live in. So that's where we're heading this morning, resurrection life. And maybe a better Um, A more sound theological viewpoint of heaven could be put by this uh, guy called Paul Manwaring, and he said that heaven is not just a future uh, reality, but it's an internal one which includes the present, includes the now. The life of heaven, the kingdom of God, belongs to believers now. It shouldn't be news to us, but sometimes I think we need to be reminded, or at least I need to be reminded. Um, I really want us to get excited about that resurrection life this morning, that life that is available, available to us. We've been singing about it, we've been remembering it in communion, and it should stir something up for us to get hungry, like those teenagers are hungry there at Soul Survivor. We should be getting excited and getting hold of that life now. And I think sometimes we can have a tendency to, to nod off a little bit. Hopefully you won't nod off this morning whilst I'm speaking. But we can, we can get a bit dozy and just let life pass us by and, and just go through the motions. But if we do that, we're missing out on the reality of what Jesus is offering for us right now. So I'm just going to pray that this morning, like Holy Spirit, would you just come and bring a resurrection of truth and a resurrection of life in all of us today. Amen. Um, So we're going to read from John 11, and it's going to be a great big chunk. We're reading all the way from 1 to 44. So if you've got a Bible, please do grab it, find it, and follow. Um, Sadly, it's not going to be up on the front because I didn't get organized in time. Um, But here we go. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble because they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I wasn't there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. 
Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews, who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. It's an incredible story, and I feel like we could spend weeks and weeks in that story just plucking out golden things in it. There's so much in it. But right now, the bit that I want to focus on, and we will come back to that story in a bit, but the bit I want to take and focus on is I am the resurrection and the life. I think as we read the story, we have to recognize that it's more about Jesus than it is about Lazarus or or any of the other characters. In it, And we can't help thinking about Jesus' own resurrection as we read that story. And in fact, that very event of Jesus bringing Lazarus out of the tomb and raising him from the dead set into motion the series of events that resulted in his own death and resurrection. So we can't miss it. And I just want us to remember it again as we've done with the songs that we've sung today and, and with communion today, what it has achieved for everybody who puts their faith in Jesus. Jesus made a promise to Martha that anyone who believes in him will live even though they die. What a powerful way to demonstrate and make that promise a reality 
by his own death and resurrection. He is who he says he is. He was who he says he was. He is Jesus, the Son of God, with the power and authority to raise from the dead and to save people from their sins. That is incredible. Death, humanity's ultimate enemy, was defeated in the moment of Jesus' resurrection from the cross. And we were made for life and made for relationship with our creator God and sin has separated humanity from that and sentenced us all to death until Jesus, until the only one, the only human who didn't deserve to die took that sentence on himself for each and every one of us so that we could have life. Do you know, I think it is possible to be living but not really alive. Without Jesus, that is actually our tragic human condition, isn't it? That... Without it, without him, our life lacks purpose and it lacks fulfillment and it lacks a future. But with Jesus, life is full of purpose, fulfillment and a future. And we get to take off the grave clothes and live now to truly, fully be alive. Um, it's not just a future reality. It's an eternal reality and it's a present reality. So I'd love to describe um, resurrection life to you by using this um, some bits of uh, Romans 8 uh, and it's in the message translation I just think it is incredible the passion and emotion that it expresses what that means for us God went for the jugular when he sent his own son he didn't deal with the problem as something remote or unimportant in his son Jesus he personally took on the human condition entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up as being used as a band-aid on sin instead of a deep healing of it. And now the law code asks for what it asks for, but what we couldn't deliver is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our efforts, just simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. For you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, you yourself experience life on God's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, as surely as he did in Jesus you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant, greeting God with a child like, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and it confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children, and we know we are going to get what's coming to us an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with him. Isn't that incredible? That is resurrection life. That is the truth that we're living in today, right now, that's available to all of us. Like, It's got to make us excited. I think this stuff simply has to change our lives. Like, we cannot settle for an ordinary life knowing that truth. We weren't purchased at such a great price, at such a cost, to just settle for an ordinary life. We've been given resurrection life. We've been given the opportunity to take off the grave clothes and live. And I believe that we need to live it with the promise of eternal life in our sights. 
A guy called John C. Lennox described Daniel, who is uh, a man from um, the Old Testament. His story appears there, a courageous young man, uh, a radical young man, and he said this about him. Although he lived in this world, he did not live for it. It was in another world that he invested his life, and it is there that he now enjoys his inheritance. That's incredible. I'd love that to be said of me. Like, I think we all want to have that mindset. We should have that mindset. We're not simply waiting for heaven, waiting for the kingdom of God. We are investing in it now. And how do we do that? By being worshippers, by giving our lives back to him so that he could give them back to us more fuller and more beautiful than before. That's what resurrection life looks like. And and now I want to go back into that story that we just read and look at some characteristics of of that resurrection life, things that I think mark it and identify it and shape it for us. And that is comfort and courage. So let us start with comfort. I believe we've got to find comfort first if we have any hope of being courageous. And there is no such thing as a, as a trouble-free life. I think life visits us all in all of its measures. And, and the gospel of Jesus certainly doesn't promise us a life without trouble. In fact, it, it promises us the opposite, really. Jesus told his followers to expect trouble in this world. But he also reassured them that he has overcome. And, and there's a comfort even in that, in that Jesus prepares us to expect difficult times. Um, so that we don't get surprised or overtaken by them. As followers of Jesus, we don't get to sidestep suffering, but we do have a God who understands it, who has experienced it, who walks through it with us, and who comforts us. So from that passage in, in John, the comfort that Jesus offers to Martha, he comforts her with words of truth. Jesus said to her, "'Your brother will rise again.'" Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He gives her comfort about Lazarus. He will live even though he is dead. And he offers comfort to her directly. She will live and never truly die if she lives in him. And we can find comfort in here too. We know that there is a hope beyond the grave for our loved ones and for us. And we look forward to that resurrection in the last day when there's going to be an end to suffering and sin. That is an amazing eternal reality. That is our destiny. If you're in physical pain, if you are suffering emotionally, if life is just one set of troubles after another... If you are struggling with sin, can I encourage you that that, this is not your eternal reality, your present reality, your present circumstances are not your future and not your destiny and not your eternal reality. And however dark sometimes may feel, Jesus has never left you. He doesn't forget you. He knows you and understands you and walks it with you. And he comforts us with words of truth. The Bible is his book. It is his words. And those words have the power to bring comfort, healing, hope, and wholeness to us. There is power in God's word. And we have the Holy Spirit who comforts us as well. Not with a, like a there, there, it's going to be okay, but by touching our spirits and confirming those words of truth to us so that we know them in our hearts, even when we're unable to comfort ourselves. 
The other thing that Jesus does in that story that, that we find comfort in is that he acts. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He brought restoration and resurrection to that situation. And in our deepest trouble, as we've sung about, as we've worshipped him for this morning, God, Jesus acted to restore us to God and give us life. He has made the ultimate act on our behalf. And actually, he does also act in our personal circumstances. He does act in our suffering and in the challenges that we face. Although it's not always on our terms. Um, we could take an example from that story that it said that he waited, he loved them, he loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and then he waited for two days. Why did he wait? Like, if someone's sick or in trouble, we rush, don't we? We drop everything and we go. Why did he wait for two days? He knew what he was doing. He allowed Lazarus to die. Wouldn't it have been kinder and more comforting, and not to mention easier for him, to have gone there and healed Lazarus before he died and save his friends their grief? Or was it more beneficial for them? Did it matter more for them to be able to witness and experience the glory of God so that their faith in him may be increased? It's not always on our terms, but he does act in our circumstances. And I want to go one step further with this and say that our resurrection life doesn't simply offer us comfort in suffering, but it gives us an opportunity to transform it. I think there's an opportunity for us to act, even in our toughest moments, even in our most difficult circumstances. If we can submit our pain, if we can submit our disappointment to the foot of the cross, it's there that the Holy Spirit can breathe resurrection life into it and turn, transform some of our weakest, hardest parts into the most glorious. We need comfort first. We have to be secure in Jesus and find comfort in him and submit all of the difficult things in our lives to him before we can truly be courageous. This is the bit that really excites me. Resurrection life is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant. It shouldn't be surprising, but we are going to need courage. We need courage if we want to be worshippers of Jesus in this life. In our story, there's this exchange between Jesus and his disciples. I love the little exchanges in that story between them. Um, But this particular one, Jesus finds out about Lazarus, and he tells his friends that he's going to go where Lazarus is. And his friends are very quick to remind him that when they were there just a little while ago, people were going to stone him. And it's a reasonable concern. It is something that you would probably want to avoid at all costs. (laughs) They were trying to do him a favor. And then Jesus replies to them with this sort of cryptic sentence. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Jesus was saying that he didn't have anything to be afraid of. He knew it wasn't night time yet. In other words, it wasn't time for him to go to the cross yet. He didn't have anything to fear. But in fact, even when he did go to the cross, even though when that time came, he went there and met that with courage because he knew the outcome. He knew that his future and his destiny was safe in God's hands. Someone said that already this morning. We are safe in God's hands. And there is no safer place to be. A guy called Simon Gillibald, who has followed the call of God, and he's lived and worked in some pretty hairy places, dangerous places. Um, 
He said this, you are invincible until you're called home. What a daring statement, what a bold statement, but how true, how true. We're invincible until we are called home. And I'm not saying we should all go and put ourselves in dangerous situations or unnecessary risk, but I want to challenge us. Now, I feel we can so often be risk-averse when the funny thing is that most of the time there is little or no real risk. Um, I work in the outdoors, leading people in the mountains and on waters, and one of the things I'm going to share with you, it's like a trade secret um, (laughs) about adventurous activities, is the concept of perceived risk versus real risk. So just imagine that I am going to take you caving. We are going to go descending down, abseiling down into dark, narrow, wet places, deep underground and uh, some of you might be excited at the prospect. I'm looking for faces, but not, not seeing many. <laughs> uh, some of you might be shuddering at the thought, um, and I think probably I detected that. <laughs> uh, and most of you, if you're remotely sensible, should at least be uh, questioning whether it's safe or not. Uh, and you may think to yourself things like this. What if I can't see where I'm going? What if we get lost? What if the rope breaks? What if my harness doesn't work? What if I get stuck? What if the ceiling caves in? They're not unreasonable questions. However, your perception of those risks and your lack of understanding um, has made that venture now seem stupid and unsafe. And now you don't want to come with me. (laughs) Uh, But the reality is our torches are incredibly bright and we carry spares and spare batteries. And uh, I've been in that cave like a hundred times before. I really, I know the way and I've got the map with me as well. And um, that rope that we talked about, that will hold your weight at least 10 times over. And your harness, it's a specially engineered piece of technical equipment. I checked that. I checked the rope as well. And um, the passages, well, you can fit through even if you're six foot two. And, uh, and the ceiling, the ceiling has been there for a whole lot longer than all of us put together most probably. You, you get my point. The real risk and your perception of the risk are two quite different things. And I believe we, and I'm including myself in this, when it comes to engaging with God's kingdom and stepping out and seeing it affect things around us and change things around us and transform our lives and our communities and and worshipping God with all of our hearts and our lives, sometimes we perceive more risk than there really is. And in doing so, we miss the opportunity to do those things and we miss out on living that rewarding, adventurous resurrection life and we can settle for less. I don't want to settle for less, do you? God is in ultimate control of our lives and we are in safe hands with him. And even when we don't understand all the risks, he knows where he's going. And all we have to do is take the leap of faith. You don't have to go caving. though. <laughs> in our story, there's this wonderful moment where Thomas says, after um, they've talked about Jesus going back and, and the, the risk of being stoned to death, um, Thomas says, let us also go so that we may die with him. <laughs> Clearly, Thomas hadn't understood Jesus when Jesus said he wasn't really afraid of that happening. His perception of the risks was still high, but he went for it anyway. Isn't that like a wonderful example to us? And I think it's a little bit sad that we remember Thomas more for his doubting than we do for his courage in this story. 
Um, maybe that's because we identify a little bit more with his doubting than we do with his courage. So there's a challenge to us. Thomas took the leap before he really understood. And the more leaps that we take, the more we learn and the more we understand and the more courageous we can become. It's something that you have to practice. It's something that I need to practice. I think I'm practicing it right now. <laughs> Resurrection life is courageous. It takes courage to love God with all of our hearts, to love others unselfishly when disappointment and hurt can make us want to withdraw. It takes courage to worship God above everything else when there are so many things that compete for our affections and our attention. It takes courage to praise God with all of our energy and emotion and expression when the way that we're used to often will hide expression. We don't want to stick out from the crowd. It takes courage to say no even when no one's likely to find out or when someone else is saying yes. It takes courage to declare God's absolute truth in a post-truth culture. It takes courage to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth in acts of service and kindness and love when we might experience failure or rejection. We need courage. But do you know that we have a loving, heavenly Father who is pleased with us? He's pleased with us when we get it right, and he's still pleased with us when we get it wrong. We are safe with him. We also have a Savior Jesus who is victorious and who leads us by example, and a Holy Spirit who equips us and guides us. If he is the resurrection and the life, then our lives and our future are entirely safe with him. We can take courage. There is nothing for us to fear if we are in him. You know, muscles grow when they get used. If you want to have strong muscles, you need, to, you need to train them. And that's the same for courage. You train, just like you train a muscle to be strong, you start with the small weights. Because if you tried to start with the big ones, it would probably be embarrassing and painful. And I think sometimes we can be afraid to step out because we look at the big trajectory and we go, oh, but I couldn't do that. Or what if it means that? Or what if it means that? Don't let the fear of lifting the great big weights stop you from starting with the little ones now, with the small things that are right in front of you. That's what we do. That's what we do with our worship to God. The stuff that's in front of us, our family, our friendships, our workplaces, our colleges, our schools, just the places that we spend our time, the people that we spend our time with. We start there and we just open ourselves to respond to God and take the leap of faith with him. Where can you start exercising courage in your lives, even today, even this week? As I come to the end, I just want to draw our attention back to, to where we began. Because this talk has been about resurrection life, about life now. It's not been really about the second coming of Jesus or what heaven will be like. But we can't come to this topic without noticing that all the way through we keep being pointed towards this glorious future, eternal reality. And that the restoration of relationship between Heavenly Father and his children and all of his benefits will be complete then. But they are for us to begin accessing right now. And uh, 
and to the best of our ability to share that love and to share those benefits with the people that are around us. So my prayer for all of us today is that our lives will be an act of worship in which we find our comfort and our courage in Jesus Christ so that we might live in this world but not live for it so that we can invest our lives in the kingdom of heaven so that we might enjoy our inheritance there. Thank you.